Ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, I got a little cold open for you about mm. it, the tale. It's a sad tale, Jake. Would, oh. you, would you call it sad? Depressing? I'm, I'm crying. Deep, dark. So, I'm crying on the inside. But I cried. I was earlier time. crying on the outside. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we had, we had plans. We had plans for you. For you, the listening public. And that plan was that we were going to put a Bowie versus Dylan t-shirt on your torso. Oh. We were just where t-shirts go. Just where t-shirts go. Just right you know, yeah. and uh, we had a tagline, you know, become a super deluxe edition of yourself. Yeah, great. It was t-shirt it. would have provided that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, things happen. So here, the story is I, I, I uh, have an art degree that I haven't used in a long time, but I've got one back there, cracked hey. in dust. And I dusted her off, and I, uh, I designed a completely new graphic of, like, a vintage-looking boxing poster of Bowie versus Dylan. It looked really... Literally fly, Jake. Would you describe it as fly? I would have described, well, maybe not fly as so much as dope. <laughs> maybe like dope, more, dope. more dope than it was, fly, I guess. It was raw. It was raw. It was That's really what it was. raw. Well, yeah. <laughs> that goes without saying. We were really excited about it. It was awesome. And uh, I worked hard on it, and I know a thing or two about copyright. I'm a librarian, or, you know, I was, not anymore. Uh, and I thought, hey, you know, we're going to make this happen. And then... I got it all done. I put it online. I ordered my shirt, which may or may not still be coming. Not really sure. I yeah, think it probably tell. is. Can't tell. Hasn't come yet. Um, and then we got a cease and desist letter from oh. Sony on behalf of Dylan. Oh, that Bob Dylan. Yeah, you're talking about Bob Dylan, not not another Dylan. Bob Dylan. Okay. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Who's still alive, um, what, we found out. In the wake of this, I got a crash course in publicity rights, which is completely mm, different than Bob Yeah. And uh, we're actually completely fine with Bowie. The publicity rights change from state to state. But Bowie, who died in New York... No publicity rights anymore. As no. far as I can tell, we could make whatever Bowie shirts we wanted to. Oh, just slap them Dylan, on. living and officially, you know, having a residence in California, uh, publicity rights are different over there, and we cannot do the shirt. And I... No. The saddest part of all, I think, is that uh, Jake did not have a chance to order his shirt. I did not. He was all ready to, and then he didn't quite get around to it. He was waiting for his wife to decide what she wanted to do. And then, you know, like two weeks ago, went by, as, as happens. And then by that time, it was gone. Well, I, just, gone I was luxuriating in the choices. There were stickers. There were a lot of you choices. Yeah, there were stickers. I, and there were all these, like, tri-color blends. Tote bags. There tote bags. Tote bags. There were different size stickers. Like, I could have got a really big one and made my own T-shirt. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> I didn't want to pay full freight for a T-shirt. Just kidding. So, ladies and gentlemen, this this little anecdote breaks our hearts. But you'll notice in the episodes of the show coming up that uh, we mentioned the T-shirt from time to time because <laughs> we were super excited about it. We were trying to promote it. And unfortunately, the T-shirt did not happen after all. It got taken down before it had been made, officially announced. That's right. So, uh, we, so we we henceforth bequeath the responsibility of uh, making your torso dope um, to you, uh, dear listeners. <laughs> you can just grab a Sharpie, take whatever T-shirt uh-huh. you want, and just put Bowie versus Dylan. Just just write it on there. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, make sure you write it on your on yourself when the T-shirt's off. Otherwise, it might be a little sloppy. That's just a piece yeah. Of well, here's that. Okay. Here's that. All right. All right, ladies and gents. With that, let's uh, go to an actual episode. Hit the tunes, Jig. It's Bowie versus Dylan. Is this you and I am glowy? Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain. Oh, it's time. 
Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. Today we're taking a look at that crazy year of of excess. I must have success, which it clearly is not successful, but it is excessive. It's extremely excessive. Why isn't it successful and excessful? I don't understand. You just made it up. That one. Excessive. We'll ask a linguist later on. So that's right. With that in mind, Jake. Uh huh. I'm going to hand things over to you. Oh well. For for 1988. I'm trying. I know you're distracted right now thinking about the T-shirt. I am thinking about the T-shirt. I think. Pull things together to talk about how horrible Dylan was in it. Yeah. Okay. So um, I feel like having the T-shirt would make me a super deluxe di- edition of myself. Oh my goodness! It right? Would be. You would be a super deluxe. I edition would. Of I'd yourself. be so soft and uh, <laughs> the design so lovely. Uh, anyway, uh, you're confusing passerbys and I look at your shirt and go, "What the heck is going on there?" <laughs> and I Where hope they. S- and I What's hope that? They, I hope they scream Dylan. You know, that's just go to the website and you find can, out. And why. you can be like, oh. You can do like the whole hipster thing, like, oh yeah, I like Boy Versus Dylan, but uh, it's cool. <laughs> oh, you never, you never heard of it? Oh, well, uh, you know, yeah. it's it's this little podcast, yeah. you know, that I, that, like, some buddies of mine make it. You can call us your buddies. We're fine with that, even if you've never met. Yeah, us yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out in public, you know, like I want to do, and I'm just gonna act like I don't run co-run Bowie Versus Dylan, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, hey guys, hey cools, hey coolies. Uh, you ever? <laughs> I'll say. You ever? You ever hear? Uh, you ever hear this really, really rad podcast named Bowie versus Dylan? And those fifteen-year-olds were like, "Get out of here, man!" <laughs> podcasts aren't cool. That's well, how we'll discover the podcasts aren't cool anymore. Oh, uh, is that right? Those, those fifteen-year-olds will tell me. Oh, this... Start wearing it to uh, wear it to school again in the fall. Those middle schoolers will love my. Mr. Beck is so cool. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> yeah, that's what they're going right. to do. Anyway, let's, let's, let's do it. All right, so, you know, I, I think that 1988 for Dylan is a, is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit sweet, and it's, you know, a medium bit sour. I, originally, I had... Is there I, some, some hard bitter notes in there, too? Yeah, there's some there's some bitter notes, for sure. But but I'll, I'll say this, you know... What about um, the salty? We had some salty? Oh, wow. Dylan's always sweet. He's always salty. <laughs> He's always got some salt to pour in somebody's wound or his own or whatever. Uh, you know, this is kind of like, um, I don't know if you've ever ordered food at a restaurant and you expected it to be the worst meal you've ever tasted in your life. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, no, because otherwise I wouldn't have ordered Right, right, right. Well, this, this is kind of a thing where I, you know, for whatever circumstance you could make up, I was expecting to order this meal from, you know, this meal of 1988 for Bob Dylan. And I was expecting mm-hmm. it to taste horrible and I have to spit it right out. And I, I expected well, I remember it. you saying that you were, you were worried that you were wrong about our worst ever episode. Yes. And that this might be it instead. Excuse me. This might be it instead and that you were, you know, miscalculated. Yeah, I worried about that. And then afterwards, I worried that I had gotten his worst album wrong, which was also from 1990. Under the Red Sky, but I thought this album that he put out called Down in the Groove would be his worst one. Now, would you like would you like the sweet first, Charlie, or would you like the sour first of Bob Dylan in 1988? Well, let's, let's, you know, sweet, you, you tend to taste the sweet mm-hmm. first. You notice that right away, and the sour comes in a little okay. better. So let's, let's start with the sweet. Jay. All right, let's all right. This painful, painful metaphor going. <laughs> it's really bad. 
You know, it's almost like the metaphor. all of our metaphors food based, Jake? <laughs> it's almost like this metaphor is a meal that you're eating. And <laughs> you think it's going to be really good, but then there's, it's not very good. But you keep <laughs> eating it because you paid good. for it. Parts of it are good, you know? Yeah, and parts of it. like it, but then you get pretty sick of it. The appetizer, was, the appetizer was okay. It. You don't want you don't want to finish it. But, but you're you like, good money for it. It's a darn it. You're going to do it. I paid $24 for this entree. I'm going to wolf it down. <laughs> Anyway, this is getting very meta. Let's talk about a little bit of sweet. Uh, okay, would you like the the little sweet or would you like the big sweet? Start with the little sweet. Let's talk about the little sweet. Let's talk about the little never- sweet appetizer. Let's 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 talk about the appetizer called the Never Ending Tour of 1988. Okay. This is a really early one. This is the first one. Whoa! Whoa! Congratulations, Dylan. Seven, I mixed up. Yeah, so uh, here's a question that Bob asked himself in 1988 and then proceeded to answer himself for the next 31 years and counting. What if I never stopped touring? (laughs) (laughs) The question's still being answered. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, he has to now because of the old... uh, because of the old COVID thing going on, but he'll, he'll, he'll be back again because he just released an album and, and, and everything's and good with Bob. Um, the idea was really cool and effective at the time, um, even for, you know, the poor, poor lost Bob in 1988. Like, personally, he was just lost. This is before Oh Mercy. Mm-hmm. This is before he went back to just doing acoustic covers of traditional songs. This is obviously before Time Out of Mind, etc. Um, he, he, he commissioned a small band headlined by G.E. Smith, who has been the band leader for Saturday Night Live for, I don't know, like 40 years or 35 years or something like that. Good for him. Just, and, re- just be breaching for that rainbow. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's the guy guffawing in the background of every Saturday Night Live uh, opening <laughs> monologue. <laughs> That's G.E. Smith. Um, also a very accomplished like, musician. Overstrating all the crazy saxophone. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, yeah. All I remember that theme music is just a saxophone just wailing. If you do Tasty Licks on a saxophone, that is it right oh, there. Oh, that's it. The SNL. And G.E. Smith like, is conducting that every week. He's conducting yeah. that, that, that bit right there. <laughs> um, so the idea uh, that Bob had was he was sick of going out and doing these kind of like stadium tours after he released crappy albums. Where he would just aren't we all? Yeah, we, we sure are. And he was like, "I'm so sick of just playing the same songs over and over again in the same way, and kind of this uh, nostalgic, you know, thing that that he had going." Which, of course, is his fault because he refused to play the new songs that he was supposed to be uh, touring for. But he thought the goal was to play as much as possible um, in kind of smaller uh, in smaller venues. Uh, while focusing on playing different versions of his songs each night and almost kind of improvising them at times. And then sometimes Bob would play solo, and he astonished everyone with uh, his breadth and knowledge of traditional songs. Uh, Without teleprompter or help or anything like that, he would just, you know, just kind of like sing and play these six, seven, Mm -hmm. ten-minute traditional songs that he apparently had stored away on his hard drive. And then, and Um, then afterwards, say, "That's a new song I just wrote." (laughs) That was arranged by Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. Man, was he nasally. I'm the one who did that. Man, was he nasally this year, Chaz. This is like the heyday <laughs> of the nasally Bob. All of his songs are just, he, he, he shouldn't have been singing too much. <laughs> um, so, and, and they would, uh, you know, he and his small band would go out and they'd do a leg of tours. They'd book themselves a nice leg. And then afterwards, if they wanted to play more, they'd just book more legs of tours. 
on and on, horrendously, you know, henceforth forever. <laughs> Up until the present day. <laughs> yeah. And so at the time, this was his most well-received tour since the Rolling Thunder review. Uh, well. People thought it was, you know. Which featured what guitarist again, Jake? Uh, Mick Ronson. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> um, and uh, what was I going to say about that? Oh, this was like, this was one of those times where Bob had a crazy idea you know, he often had all these like wacky notions and ideas about what he should be doing as a musician and such like that. Uh, he actually followed through on it. He was like, I'm going to I'm going to tour forever. And he did. <laughs> I mean, congratulations, Bob. Congratulations. <laughs> all right. Let's do follow one, through on something. Finally, let's do one more sweet nugget. Let's do the fact that he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hey! in January of 1988. Uh, Bruce Springsteen gave the speech. It was very, you know, florid and uh, important sounding. They made Bob sound real nice. And then there was an incredibly star-studded, you know, one of these white guy rock and roll Hall of Fame, you know, uh, performances. And I can't even remember what song it was or what they did, but it was like Billy Joel was involved for some reason and, you know, Mick Jagger was there. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's an impressive list of musicians, sure, sure, but again, sure. you, you know, I mean, everybody knows the, the the score with these sorts of things. See, Dylan did did beat Bowie by eight years. Bowie wasn't until ninety six. Ninety six. I don't think I talked about it at the time. Really? Yeah. Why ninety six? Oh, was that uh, that was the twentieth anniversary of Spiders from Mars, right? Mm-mm. Thereabout. No, no, the twenty fourth of Spiders from Mars in ninety six. I thought it was supposed anyway, to be. It doesn't matter. It does It'd be not. It does not matter. Bob was in the stage of his career where he was just, you know, accepting or not accepting all of these awards all the time. Lifetime achievement kind of things. Mm -hmm. Which Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of course, was one of those. All right. Shall we get to the sour, Chaz? Yeah, let's do some sour. I do have one more sweet thing to say. A very sweet thing, in fact. Why don't we save that at the end for the dessert? All right. Hey, that's so nice. Let's have a crappy entree right now. Let's do that. Well, you know, (laughs) didn't deliver after, you know... Well, Chaz, uh... Seemed like the appetizers were, you know, were important to good things to come, but they weren't. They weren't. No, they weren't. They weren't it was big. decent. It was decent. But, uh, but, uh, but here come your choices for the appetizers. Now, can, yeah. I, can yeah. I interest you, Chaz, in an entree slash album, music album, by a slumping white rocker whose release was delayed by six months, whose track listing changed at least three times, whose songs came from at least six different recording sessions spread over six different years and was later revealed that every song was from a different recording session over the span of six years. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like a fun idea, honestly. It's like You like that idea? That, well, I don't know that, you know, you would take the best song. I mean, we all know, that, all know that Dylan doesn't take the best songs when he puts no, them on 80s especially albums. especially in but, the 80s, goodness. But the, the best song from each recording session was, oh, you know, okay. I mean, best, it feels like best be unreleased, idea. Best re- unreleased you know? song or whatever from all you those You know, I mean, it's almost sessions. like a bootleg series at that point, you know? It is. Well, it's almost like a compilation album at that yeah, point, yeah. which is interesting. Uh, that had a really sweet cover design by the Grateful Dead's cover artist Rick Griffin, but Columbia just said, we don't want a really sweet cover design. We just like to put a gauzy picture of Bob Dylan in a puffy pirate shirt on it instead. <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. Well, Bob <laughs> did want to be a pirate in 1988. <laughs> Boy, was so did, he ever. So did Bowie, so that was all right. Oh, yeah, great. Oh, they shared something. Um, that doesn't list a single producer. 
whose only really good song features the Grateful Dead in 1988? <laughs> Have I interested you in this album slash Not entry? anymore. No. no <laughs> oh. It went, it went way sour a while. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Well, anyway, this thing came out. Uh, you have to have it. It's called Down in the Groove. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many uh, light white boy reggae songs are on this one? Uh, there's none. There's actually none. None? No. It's called Down in the Groove. I know. I know. Uh, you may also be thinking to yourself, like, ooh, maybe Bob finally tried his hand at R&B and or hip hop. And you'd be sort of right about but he that. Didn't. But we'll, well, he'll be a little bit right about that. But we'll get to that later. Uh, the the album focuses on quote collaboration. It has five covers, one traditional, two songs co-written with Robert Hunter of the Grateful Dead, the Grateful Dead's lyricist, wonderful lyricist, and two original Bob Dylan songs. Uh, it features a whole bunch of studio musicians um, since. You know, he went into the studio many times over the last six years. But featured on this album are Eric Clapton, Jerry Garcia, Randy Jackson, Mark Knopfler, Bob Weir, Kip Winger of the 80s pop rock band Winger. Remember those guys? That was awesome. Uh, no. <laughs> Ronnie Wood, who's just, he's ever he just hangs out. He's like, he is. He just doesn't leave the studio. He's like, ah. Whatever he's in, that's who, he, that's who he plays with. I think he's like, I feel like he's kind of Bob's Ed McMahon. He's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. That is correct, Bob. That is correct, Bob. Uh, yeah, so, and it also features, most interestingly, to, to circle us back around to the, the R&B um, thing, is a, a hit-making group of producers and singers called Full Force. Have you ever heard of these guys and girls? Nope. Okay, well, they were producers and singers on basically like 50% of the R&B hits of the 80s and 90s. <laughs> They're like, this kind of a super producing okay. group of musicians slash, slash engineers and producers and stuff. Um, and so Bob Dylan brought them in to help him on the song Death Is Not The End. Now, the hope here is, of course, that Bob would um, try his hand at hip-hop and, like, do some rapping or have uh -huh. some, some crazy... Which he threatened to do for years. There's some, still time, Bob. There's there's, still time. I know. I mean, he's... What else can he... What else does he have to do, you know? What else does he you have know, to prove? He just, he just had another big comeback. It's time to... Yeah. Uh, to ruin that goodwill again. Okay? It's time we'll to prove... With, with hip-hop, okay? It's time to prove Let's that 80-year-old singer-songwriters belong in the hip-hop scene. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> and then we'll be right for another comeback in three four years, you know? Uh, we're, ready, we're ready for your next comeback already. Exactly. It's like, can we actually just get past this comeback? We're bored. We need more comebacks. <laughs> Uh, so the song "Death Is Not the End" is actually one of the better ones on on the album, but um, unfortunately, there's no like break beat or anything like that. It's uh, no. full force does provide some very nice background vocals, so good for them. Um, <laughs> Down in the groove is basically an even worse self portrait. That's basically what it is. It's like oh, it's okay. like all, it's kind of all the stuff that he didn't that he didn't use for his crappy 80 albums. Even uh -huh. though all of his 80s albums are crappy, especially up to this was point. was what he didn't use for his solid to good. Yeah, exactly, albums, right? exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, this is kind of a hilarious Mrs. compilation, I like to call them. <laughs> um, I, you know, when I do the points, I'm, I'll be tempted to soften the blow by, by ranking it as a compilation album, but it's not. It's not. It's an actual album. Um, it has probably... The worst song that he's ever uh, put out on a record. 
cold. Wow. I think so. I think the worst one. And Tell us more, Jake. Well, let me do Where that. Um, can I interest you in a song called The Ugliest Girl in the World? <laughs> oh, man, you mentioned this before. Yeah. When I made my worst of uh, Dylan compilation for you all those years ago. Yeah, there it is. Oh, that was, that yeah. was one of the shining gems. Times. You know? That was good times. Because <laughs> unlike, unlike Bob's usual worst songs, which are just really boring and uninspired, uh, uh-huh. This one's like misogynistic and bad. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. This was his uh his laughing gnome. It's kind of his laughing gnome. It, and in fact, yeah, it's just I so it's just so bad that it's just so bad and he was going for it's something. A train wreck. You can't you can't turn away, you know. I think it You're was horrified to look, but you can't you can't stop. I think it was supposed to be like an early rock novelty song throwback. Mm-hmm. Like the premise is this girl Like like laughing gnome? Exactly, like laughing gnome. <laughs> Um, there's no like high pitched squeaking in. Oh, that's too bad. You know, unless too you want to, unless you want to say Bob Dylan's voice is just high pitched squeaking at this point. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so the the premise is that the girl is, you know, apocalyptically ugly, which is just a great <laughs> thing to say about anyone. But hey, Bob loves her anyway. Can't get enough of her. I and bet she really appreciates that. There's some really horrid lyrics that I won't that I won't share with you. Um, it's really bad. But he has he has his uh, you know all of his past, present, and future backup singer girlfriends um, in on the action here, um, and they're singing over and over again. She's so ugly, man. She's ugly. Gotta be ugly, boy. She's ugly. But that's just a <laughs> that's just a taste. <laughs> Why did this happen, Jake? I don't know. I think it was. I think it was it supposed was a, to be a give joke. Any insight to us at home? I think. I think it was supposed to be a joke. Um, part part of the album is kind of a throwback feel, like kind of, you know, it's supposed to be rockabilly, but it's really couched in all this '80s production. So it just sounds like uh-huh. crappy white guy rock. Everything does. Yes, like blues kind of a stuff. But I think it was supposed to be kind of. It's going to be a throwback. <laughs> I think there were a lot of novelty stuff going back in the '50s where. You know, not like Johnny Cash would do anything like that. Maybe not even Jerry Lee Lewis. I'm talking like, I can't think of a band. I think it was just like singles, like novelty singles. Yeah, Funny. it was novelty. It was one hit wonders and stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. Like you try to, like Eeny Weeny Teeny Bikini yeah. or whatever that song is. Kind of like that. And it, it just, it just sounds, it sounds horrible. It's, it's mm-hmm. bad. And it should be probably erased. It should probably get canceled, you know, to be honest. Cancel it. <laughs> Cancel it. Cancel it. Okay, so that was down in the groove. I'll talk more, a little bit more about it. In that was process. a horrible entree, Jake. <clears throat> I know. And I, uh, I sent it back. I yelled to the chef. Yeah. They wouldn't do anything about and it. And they were like, "Man, you got to listen to this. You have to." No, that's what and they told. Like, that's what they told me. Nope. <laughs> nope. You can't have your money back. And Charlie's like, "I'm a Bowie fan. I don't have to listen to this." And they're like, "Well, you have to hear Jake talk about it." So <laughs> go you for it. Wrong restaurant today. All right. So let's go on to the sweet dessert. Let's have some desserts. Hey, yes, yes. yes no, it's such a it's a really great dessert. And Chaz, this is the this is the origin and the beginning and the absolute smashing success of the traveling Wilburys. Hey, Boom! That, is, that is a good dessert. It's a wonderful dessert. Now, I want to, the origin of the traveling Wilburys is. I think it's I think it's a story we can all relate to, and I'll tell you why. Like this seems like something. That normal that happens to normal people all the time. Okay, so let's say you're a normal person like George Harrison, uh, my favorite Beatle, and probably the third best Beatle <laughs> out of four. Out of four. Okay. Oh come on, he can beat Paul. I think he can beat Paul. 
Yeah, Paul, he beats Paul. Paul. I mean, if Paul had just had the good sense to stop making music about 1975, <laughs> then like, yeah, then maybe not. But he did not have that good sense. He's no. still, still rocking. And now he's reaping these fantastic super deluxe edition of albums I've never heard of. of late awards. 90s albums yeah, I've never heard that of. always get nominated for <laughs> album of the year by the Grammys for some reason. <laughs> because it's Paul McCartney. All right, so you're. They should just give their own like. Best album that Paul McCartney recorded this year. Yeah. <laughs> this used to be a new category. <laughs> exactly. Just like, don't give him the award, though. <laughs> Best solo white British male whose first name is Paul and second name is McCartney yeah. who made an album this year. Yeah, there'll be like three of his on there for some reason. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. The years don't matter at the Grammys. We know that. No, well, that's that's absolutely true. That's One will win sure. that came out 15 years ago. That's for sure. All right, so uh, you're a normal guy like George Harrison and you're just like, yeah, sure. Uh, my, sure. Re- you know, my record label wants me to get a B-side for my latest single. Uh, you're, you're George and you just had a surprise hit with uh, on on an album called Cloud Nine in 1987, called uh, oh, what's that song? I've got my heart uh, set on that one. Yeah, that's the one. I got, I got, my, I got my heart. What my heart set on you? I got no, my it's heart not. Set. I've got the Weird Al version. The Weird Al version is head. hilarious. The song is just six words this long. This song is just six words long. I can't believe I forgot it. I got my heart set on you. I got my heart set. It's not heart. Not heart. Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. You look it up. Anyway, I'm doing it. I can't believe it. I had a whole thing, and I and I just screwed it. Okay, so uh, so so he's hanging out. It's just I got my mindset on you. Got my mindset. Oh, I got my mindset on you. you. I've got my mindset. All right, so you're George, and and you're and you're thinking you need a you need a B side for a single, and you're just you're at lunch with your casual friends, uh, Jeff Lynn of Electric Light Orchestra and Roy Orbison. You're just hanging out with them because you know, because as Jeff one does because Jeff Lynn is producing Roy Orbison's comeback album Mystery Girl. Okay, and so George is like, "Hey, Jeff, buddy, old pal." Uh, can you help me record this track and and we'll invite Roy Orbison to attend the session. Uh, legendary early rocker on the verge of a huge sure. comeback, but also dying sure. very soon. And then they're like, where should we do this? Where should we do this, fellas? Oh, I know. My friend Bob Dylan has a garage studio in Malibu. And so they all went over there and Dylan's like, come on in, guys. And then... Uh, and then George Harrison's like, but I forgot me guitar. And the wait, I left it at, I left it at my other pal Tom Petty's house. And so he goes over to Tom Petty's house, gets his, gets his guitar from Tom Petty's house. You know, everyone's leaving their guitars at Tom Petty's house these days. Uh, And then, and then George is like, oh, I know, maybe Tom would want to come along as well. And he invites him, and Tom's like, sure, I got nothing better to do. So they all go over to Bob Dylan's garage studio, and they start writing songs. And that afternoon, they recorded the track Handle With Care, which ended up being their single. And then they just started getting together and shouting out song lyrics and sharing songs with each other. And they all wrote a bunch of songs together, and they put it on an album called Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1. Uh, now, does that sound like, I mean, that sounds like a pretty normal thing to happen to a That happened to me, like, yeah. last week, maybe it was a week before. Week yeah. before. Yeah. yeah. Like, sure. I mean, who, 
<laughs> I think a fun game is to think of, you know, think of four of your buddies, whether they be male or female, and just think like, well, let's see, who am I in the traveling Wilburys in this scenario? <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> who would you be? I don't know. I think I'd be the Jeff Let's Lynn, see. to be honest. I'd be the background guy doing the doing the producing and trying to, uh, you know, trying to stay in the background a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Tom Petty. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I want to be Tom Petty, but I don't think I am. <laughs> in 1988, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it resuscitated the careers of both Roy Orbison and Tom Petty and Bob Dylan. They were all kind of down and out at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like, uh, the band is kind of like Tin Machine. Um, where the credit is doled out equally. It was just like, yeah. uh, you know, we all did this, except, you know, you know, sometimes it was like very obvious who wrote the songs and who and who was kind of the leader of it. Um, except that... Yeah, Tim Machine, it was just Bowie wrote all the songs. <laughs> you know? Right, but give some credit yeah. where credit is not due. Sometimes you know? there's shared credits, but basically Bowie wrote all the songs, except for two of them, which not coincidentally are the worst two songs Tim Machine ever released. Yeah, okay. Word up. Uh, the only difference between Traveling Wilburys and uh, Tin Machine is that all the members of Traveling Wilburys are God-level superstars. Where and Tin Machine, only one. Tin Machine was like Bowie and a couple of his mates, you know, <laughs> hanging out. All right, I got a little quiz for you here. Um, the other interesting thing about the Traveling Wilburys is they started their own record label called Traveling Wilburys Records. And they didn't put their real names inside any of the um, any of the promotional material. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the thing. So when you look inside the original thing, um, there's no Bob Dylan, there's no George Harrison, etc. They all go by different Wilbury names. So I'm going to give you the Wilbury names. You know the oh, names man. of the Traveling like Wilburys. Did I? I did it on. You know what? I did it on their their second record. Their other one, but some of them was, changed, right? Did they all changed. They all changed. They all changed. Okay. All right. So all you right. got you so got no head start. Matter, there's, I don't remember what happened to the other one. There's no way for you to get any of this right. They're completely <laughs> random. But I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna make you try anyway. All right. So they all have the last name Wilbury. There's Nelson Wilbury. Mm-hmm. There's Otis Wilbury. Mm-hmm. Lucky Wilbury. Okay. Lefty Wilbury. And then my favorite one of all, Charlie T. Jr. Wilbury. <laughs> That's funny. All right. All right. All right. What do you got? Give me, give, give, give me the first name again. Okay. Nelson. Um, the one guy from Electric Light Orchestra whose name I can't remember right now. Yeah, not Jeff Lynn. You're, you're incorrect. No. That's yeah. George Harrison. Right. That's George Harrison. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. What about Otis? What do you got? Uh, Dylan. Wrong. That's Jeff Lynn. Okay. All right, let's go with Lucky. Do it well. Do it well. <laughs> lucky. Yeah. Um, I was convinced that that, that one was going to be Roy Orbison. But you already said Roy Orbison. No, we didn't say so, Roy Orbison. What? We didn't say no. Roy Orbison yet. We said. Who was the first one? George Harrison was Nelson. George Harrison and <laughs> Jeff Lynn was the second one. Okay. Yeah, I'm terrible at this game. Really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Roy, Roy Orbison. No, that's Bob Dylan. Okay. Bob Dylan's lucky. <laughs> All right. You're running out. You're running out. You have a 50 50 flip. I'm going to get that fifth one for sure. You got a 50 50 <laughs> flip coming up right now. Okay. How about okay. Lefty? Who's Lefty Wilbury? Lefty. Who do we have left? We have Tom Petty and we have Roy Orbison. That's correct. Uh, Tom Petty. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I'm feeling good. It feels so alive. All right, so uh, obviously Tom Petty is Charlie T. Jr. Wilbury. All right. (laughs) That's hilarious. All right, so Dylan's contributions are, you know, roughly the same as everyone else. The the kind of uh, inverse proportion of this band is that Jeff Lynne was the least well-known member, especially at the Mm -hmm. time, but he he really shaped the sound of a lot of pop 
pop rock um, going forward. Um, Tom Petty's solo albums were about to come out, and they were huge. Uh, Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl came out, and that was a big deal. Um, and Jeff Lynne produced, and en- I don't know if he engineered, but he produced and had a guiding hand in in the Traveling Wilburys. So his his fingerprints yeah. were soon to be like all over American music. Um, but at the time, he was the least well-known member. The most well-known member um, was probably still Bob Dylan, um, as a solo act anyway, um, Beatles notwithstanding. And he contributed two songs. You know, He played on all the rest, but he contributed one right. called Dirty World. And you probably remember the Traveling Wilburys' first record, right? I feel like our parents played I that probably a would. I know, I know Lama Dead Hat. Anyway, the hook of this song is... Probably if it were played, I'd be like, yep. Oh yeah, one, yeah. I, I bet not, you would. It's not popping up off the top of my head. Uh, the the hook of this song is "He loves you, he loves you," and they all like take turns saying things. So like one of them is "He loves your sexy body," "He loves your cool moves" or something, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> that sounds awful, Jake. It is. Um, actually, it's not, but it is kind of. Um, the other one that he wrote was "Tweeter and the Monkey Man." <laughs> <laughs> and this yeah, was so funny. I don't Band know. Band called it. I, I, you know, occasionally Bob Dylan will kind of uh, make he, a parody. He's their own band called Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Yeah. Are you Tweeter or are you the Monkey Man? I'm Tweeter, obviously. Oh, stop it. Clearly. Can we, can we start one called Tweeter and Tweeter for real? <laughs> You're Tweeter, I'm Tweeter for real. We just both be the Monkey Man. We'll just change the name. Just the Monkey Man. Tweeter and the Monkey Man, and it's just us two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's there do it. No tw- there is no Tweeter. We're both the Monkey Man. Sold. <laughs> We just got a record contract, bro. <laughs> Twitter is Bob whenever we get him to come back and, and work with us. Uh, the reason I mentioned this... Along with a, an undiscovered cache of unreleased Bowie songs. Oh, man. They're in our bread box <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> uh, the reason I bring up this song is that occasionally in Dylan's career, he will kind of parody or pay tribute or maybe some mix of those two things. You know, he wrote a song very much like Norwegian Wood, um, called Fourth Time Around on uh, on uh, Blonde on Blonde. And this one apparently is intended as a parody or tribute to Bruce Springsteen's early, long, verbose singer-songwriter songs before he hit it okay. with his band. Um, but those things were in themselves parodies of Dylan songs already. Right. From back then. So I yeah. don't really know what to, I don't really know what to do with that. It's a very interesting now Springsteen had just inducted him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like did the speech for sure, him. Sure, sure. Maybe, maybe he had a little Bruce on his mind, like we all do from time to time. <laughs> I, I don't know if I do, but yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, the album came out and it was a <laughs> it was a smash hit. It was uh let's see here. Number three in the US, number sixteen in the UK, and number one in Australia. Um, Handle with Care, the the only single from the album, did stall at number forty five, but it it kind of endured. That's 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 a pretty famous song. Um, it went three times platinum in the U.S. and for some ungodly reason, it went six times platinum in Canada alone. <laughs> Canada, Canada loves those Wilburys. They were like, oh hey, <laughs> traveling Wilburys, yay. Isn't Tom Petty Canadian or something? No, he's no. not. He's from Florida. Yeah, okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. For some reason, briefly, I was thinking, Tom Petty, Canadian. Yeah, Tom Petty's the old, you know, uh, sweaty southerner. Okay, um, it was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys the following year. Did it win? It did not. Um, You don't beat it? I should have put down one. I don't know. It uh, it did win. it It did win for the very prestigious award of Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group. So there's that. 
Yeah, good old Grammys. Um, and then <laughs> you're actually click clacking oh, away over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to learn that. We don't find this out, Jake. Well, find out quick because i got something else to say. Well, I'm working on it. Will you, you know? please? Oh, well, Jake, it was <laughs> it was George Michael with Faith. Ah, you got to have it. You got to yeah. have it. You gotta yeah. You're not going to beat faith. that. No, you're not going to, even if you're... Not the Grammys in no. 1989. Uh, it might be... I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't really look this up. I'm sure you could find a really bad... Um, uh, internet listicle about this, but it could be the it could be the best rock supergroup of all. That's a lot. I, how can you get your names any bigger and have more success than that at the same time? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, you know, to wit, the reissue. Actually, wait, Jake. Lives. Sorry, Traveling Wilburys were not nominated until 1990. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, because their record came out in early 1988. Yep, of that's right. Of course. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. So. They actually lost to Bunny Rate with Nick of Time. Oh, man, that's a great record. Our parents were playing that one, too, a lot. Also, Tom Petty was nominated in the exact same category against himself with Jeff Lynne as one of the producers <laughs> for, Full Moon, for Full Moon Fever. Oh, yeah, it's a great album, too. Was there ever a time when our parents more aligned with popular music than the late 80s, well, early 90s? Or, <laughs> before, not. You know, pre, know. Pre, pre-grunge. There's just no way, right? But... Our parents 60s, listened to. I, don't know, I mean, were, they didn't. No. They weren't listening to George Michael, but through the sixties and seventies, I think they were in there. Yeah. Uh, other probably. nominees in the category, Jake, included Don Henley and mm. the Fine Young Cannibals. Oh, the Fine Young Cannibals! <laughs> with that song they had was so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Okay, hold on. I got one more thing to say about the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. Um, so the reissue, they reissue. I'm getting pretty full. That was been a lot of dessert. I know, I know, I know. I can handle one more cherry. You can't. You can handle one more I cherry on top. There's a little more whipped cream. I'm kind of scraping my spoon around yeah. the bottom. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't. The, you can't help yourself. And whipped cream. It's like, hey, there's a little bit left. We can't. We're not taking this home. Come on, no, somebody eat it. Home, somebody no. eat it. Somebody eat it. <laughs> All right, and that thing that you have to eat, even though you kind of don't want to, is the reissue of the Traveling Wilburys. Uh, they reissued all. Uh, they reissued all two of their albums. <laughs> I was going to say all three, but there's not three. There's two, uh, volume one and volume three, and a DVD of all the videos that they had done as the Traveling Wilburys. You know, run of the mill, like you know, three disker, not super mm-hmm. deluxe or anything. They just they were like, hey, it's been out of print for a while. Let's let's get this puppy back out there in 2007, and it became the ha- highest chart debut for a box set in the U.S. and U.K. at the time. Wow. And it sold almost well. almost two million copies have been sold of the re- <laughs> of the reissue, and that's raw copies. That's not counting all the discs. So like, okay, it's like so two, it's not like when and I I, I have it too. I have it. It was a great idea. Just put everything in one box, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let, let us have it, and it, it. cost me like thirteen dollars. So, uh, well, that's why they sold so many. Too. All right, I got I got the thing that's going to make you just throw up at the very end. Um, he also he also uh, played. Uh, he was, it was offered a mint, but it's actually rancid. Yeah, it was kind of well. I don't know. It was, the, it was open and a little <laughs> sticky. It's been sitting in the bag for a long time. He was uh, provided vocals and was the co-writer of the song "Love Rescue Me" on U2's weird concert album "Rattle and Hum" in 1980. <laughs> and I think he appeared on that too. So there's that. Well, there, there, there it is. Cool. Gonna, yeah. Cool. So, so now I guess we're going to come back tomorrow for more meals, but this one will be a Bowie meal or what? What's happening here? No, we're going to eat some more. I we're just going to eat more? Late, late night snack. Oh, how I about, don't know. Yeah, how I about, we, know how about we go home, 
watch a movie and then you're inexplicably hungry during the movie, even though you <laughs> gorged yourself earlier. Sure, why not? All right, or sure. Or we could abandon the painful metaphor. Also an option. Yeah, I can't. You can if you want. <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck. All right. All right, so Woo! 1988 for Bowie is... It's like a mini, you know, he's starting the comeback already. Because 87 is Nader. His worst year of them all. Ah, it was characterized by the Glass music. Spider album and the Glass Spider tour. Ooh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, an explosion of classic 80s excess. Yeah, absolutely. Just over the top, balls to the wall, <laughs> too much, too soon, too often. <laughs> and uh, 88, he, he took some time off and did a little bit less. And mm. in that, he creates mm. more, he has more points for himself because he didn't do as much stuff. Okay. Um, 88 is notable. It's the first year since 1968 that Bowie released no new music whatsoever. Whoa! So 20, not a single new track was actually released to the public. Twenty new, twenty-year anniversary of releasing music every year. That's right. Okay. Of at least one song, and actually, I think it's more than one song every year. But yeah, uh, he did, however, release a sweet Glass Spider tour. VHS tape. Ah, I have seen. I have Boom. seen part of that because You've I seen was the Charlie Sexton. Part. I did. Am I right? That's Am right. I right? And it was incredible. He was smoking. He was just uh, ripping licks like nobody's biz. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of licks. They licking. Really, it's too many. Too many licks. It's too many licks. So uh, it actually came out originally in two volumes. So that could be a sweet two VHS set for you, Jake. Ooh, now, let me get my hands on that. Dip in. <laughs> Charlie Sexton's on volume two, just so you know. Okay, cool. Uh, it features a full performance of the incredible theatrical Glass Spider Tour featuring Peter Frampton, of yes, course. Yes, who old high school in the buddy. album and was in the tour. Mm. And, you know, it's really theatrical. There's a gigantic spider over the stage that moves up and down. Yep, saw that There's one. a whole bunch of, mul- of costumed backup dancers. Everyone's wearing crazy costumes, with the noticeable exception of Peter Frampton, who's just, like, <laughs> in a sleeveless T-shirt with his big, puffy hair. Just, <laughs> he looks like he just got there by accident. Like, he just, like, found a guitar somewhere backstage and stumbled on and didn't know what's going on. But then he's just squeezing uh, out tasty licks like nobody's business. Sure, that's so, what, you that's, know, whatever. That's what, Get a place. Uh, that's what. Uh, At that's, some point, somebody gave up on trying to have Peter Frampton be part of whatever everything else is going on. That's what people like. You have, you have Carlos Alomar, who's the rhythm guitar, you know, is a longtime uh, Bowie guitarist. Yeah, and he's got this crazy outfit. His hair is spiked weird. He's like like two pairs of glasses on top of each other, and like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but uh, he was all in. Peter Frampton was not. That's what didn't that's, know what was happening. That's what P. Framp does. You know, that's what he do. <laughs> P. Framp is. He's just who he is. You can't P Framp being P Framp. That's just what he you is. Yeah, you can't change him. There's props. There's costume changes. All kinds of crazy stuff going on. There's choreographed dancers. It's a explosion. It's a smorgasbord. It's a smorgasbord. It is. Mm-hmm. And yes, at the end, Charlie Sexton shows up for the encore. Yeah. And plays on two songs. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, we lampooned this. In the 2007 episode, which is when a DVD version came out, along with a an audio-only version of a, actually a different show on the tour. It wasn't the same show on the tour as the video. Uh, about how there's all these weird sketches and stuff. But um, Oh, yeah, that's right. That was awesome. Right. I did I did some DVD theater in which I you know acted out some of these sketches, which are actually the sketches were recorded ahead of time. So it's exactly the same audio on this show also, <laughs> which is really – it's it's just it, – it feels very much like uh, – local theater like yeah like low budget theater at parts but they obviously had a lot of budget because the the sets and everything is pretty extravagant so i'll tell you more about this when we get down to points but 
the video is interesting. I watched the whole thing. It was weird. Like sometimes with these videos, they're not worth watching the entire thing. This one is so crazy that like I watched this whole thing. I did it. And I don't regret it. I don't regret it, Jake. I think you should, but that's fine. You don't have to. Well, you didn't watch the whole thing, so you don't know, Jake, do you? <laughs> you don't know how it yeah. transformed your your perspective <laughs> on community grade theater Bowie spiders. Yeah, what you said. Yep. Hey, next up, Bowie is in a movie. Oh, yay. It's a small role for him, but it is one of the highest regarded movies. He's in The Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So Last Temptation of Christ is a very controversial film very. about the life of Christ. Uh, I did not watch the whole... We were going to watch the whole thing, and then it was like three hours long, so oh, yeah. didn't. It's a hefty deal. I was going to. And Bowie is in for like four minutes, so... Sure, sure, sure. I don't. Bowie plays Pontius Pilate, though, so a notable... Oh, wow. Why did I not know, you know that? I don't know. He's a notable individual in the um, Death of Christ, his story. Ends up, uh, you know, sentencing Christ to death, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, At the behest of the, the people. As it has to the people, um, the this is taken pretty, pretty fast and loose. It's not intended to be like a letter for letter exact, you know, replication of the gospel story. It's more a thematic story. It was controversial. I looked this up and I was curious about it. It's uh, controversial because particularly at the end, I guess uh, Jesus thinks through like what would, would he would what would happen if he decided to like step down from the cross mm. and not die after all. Mm-hmm. And so you see like apparently an extended vision of him like getting married to Mary Magdalene and living a full life and doing all wow. this stuff. Yeah. And uh sounds like there's a very, very brief scene between him and Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. you know, after they're married. Mm-hmm. And that was very controversial. Of course. This is a Martin Scorsese movie, right? It's Martin Scorsese, it is. Yeah. And uh Willem Dafoe please Jesus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anyway, mm-hmm. Bowie is in there. He's Pontius Pilate. He's in there for like four minutes. He has a totally sweet, like, like the classic, like, kind of messy Roman bowl cut that oh, shows yeah. up in movies. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? Oh, yeah, like the Monty Python I've never cut. seen him with a haircut like this. All the myriad haircuts I've seen Bowie wear, <laughs> I've never seen one like this. And it didn't even look like him at first. Like, I showed Claudia a picture, my Claudia, my wife, and she didn't realize it was him at first. Um, he kind of looks like Eric Idle for some reason. We're not really sure why. I don't think of those two as looking that much alike, but... Uh, yeah, he's got the messy bowl, Roman bowl cut. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're all so awesome. So, Jake, interestingly, Bowie was the second choice for this role. Originally, it was supposed to be played by Sting. Oh. But Sting turned it down for some reason. I don't remember if he was just busy. I think he had, like, something else going on. He couldn't do it. I don't remember. <laughs> Sting. Now, the thing with Bowie Sting and Sting good. in the 80s is they're seeming, like, interchangeable when it comes to acting roles oh. in the 80s. Okay. Tell me more. In fact, there are multiple times when the two of them were up for the same role. Or was offered to one of them and the other one got it. Or was offered to both of them and neither one took it. Whatever it was. Really? But there are multiple times where this happened. So, Jake, I got a multiple choice question for you. Yes. It's been confusingly worded and I'm going to do my best. Excellent. I'm going to name you off four films. Okay. Three of them were cases where they were up for the same role, offered one where something happened. The fourth one... No. You would have pick out which one is the one that they did not, were not both up for. Well, okay, so only one of them was in this fourth film. Or were neither of them in the fourth film? Or it doesn't well, matter. There's one. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not guaranteed to either one of them be in the films, but they okay. were offered roles in the films. Got, oh, offered roles in films. And the same, the same role. Uh, okay. Not just like the same, you know, not like 
to be potentially the same, but we offered the same role. Got it. Okay, I am going to get this or wrong. Or some connection. There. Got it? You got it? So you're trying to find the one that there yep. is no connection. I can't there. wait to get this terribly wrong. You go. I know, go. I know. I'm sorry. I knew it was going to be confusing. That's okay. I already, I already killed it. I, I got it coming after my Wilbur's right. question. First right. choice, 1985's A View to a Kill. Ah, great. Bond movie. Okay. <laughs> 1982's Brimstone and Treacle. Oh, great. Terrible name for a movie. 1979's Quadrophenia. Oh, the Who, the who movie. Oh, the Who. Or the 1986's Labyrinth. Uh, okay, so I'm supposed to pick the one where they neither of, no, where both of them weren't offered the same role. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. That's right. All right. Uh, okay, so. All right, so obviously Bowie's in Labyrinth. Um, so the question there is whether Sting was offered the role of the Labyrinth guy. Uh, and then the other three, I don't know what those are. So <laughs> You know what Quadrophenia is. Oh, I'm sorry, Quadrophenia, of course. And A View to Kill is a bad... Okay, uh, yeah, what... From the uh, uh, And Brimstone and Treacle. Yeah, I have no idea. That's the only one I don't know what that is. Okay. Which, I mean, to be fair, clearly means that's one of them that was... Like, it clearly isn't the answer. Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought up this ridiculous movie. So no, that's true. That's I'm true. giving you a clue. Good point. You would, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's, no, you're right I wouldn't have that. made up this, this stupid title or found this weird movie if it wasn't clearly that they were both involved in it. I was busy erasing it from my memory when you just said that. <laughs> I, was, I was rejecting it out of hand. Uh, okay, I'm going to say that they were, we, they were both offered something for Quadrophenia. Um, a, a fantastic hoovie. You like that? Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. Uh, a View to Kill or a Labyrinth? I'm going to say... Let's just go... My gut says... My gut says Labyrinth, but I'm going to say A View to Kill. Incorrect. It was... What was it? It was Quadrophenia. Ow, boo. So, A View to Kill, 1985. What? was offered the main villain role, Max Zorin. Oh, very nice. He turned it down... Bowie said, quote, I didn't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off of cliffs. Oh, sick bird, man. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. That was cheeky. That was cheeky. Boy, the Bond films were in bad shape back then. They were in bad shape. Yeah, yep, they really were. They really were. <laughs> uh, so after Bowie turned it down, they offered it to Sting, who also turned it down. Yeah, man, yeah, good choice. It ended up going choice. to Christopher Walken. Oh, really? Christopher Walken ended up taking this part, yep. Oh, yeah, I love did. Christopher Walken. All right, Brimstone and Treacle, 1982. Uh, so yeah, Sting ended up having the role, but it was offered to Bowie, and he turned it down, or it didn't work or something. I don't know. Uh, it went to Sting. It's supposedly horrible. Okay. Um, Sting plays a character that is I mean, implied to be, but not explicitly said to be, Satan. Okay, great. Which, I mean, I kind of like would like to see Bowie, Bowie play it. Satan. That sounds like it, it could be interesting. Satan? Uh, Quadrophenia. Sting is in it, but Bowie is not. Uh, Bowie was not yes, 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 anything yes, yes. to do with it whatsoever. Though, in 1975, when the Tommy movie came out, Bowie was reported at various times to be, to have a part in the Tommy movie, but I didn't, I haven't found anything that, it, I don't know if they just made it up or if it was some crazy rumor. I've not seen anything to indicate that he actually was ever seriously considered for that role or okay. any So he was not in it. Um, also notably, Quadrophenia came out in 1973, made it number two in the UK, stopped being in it, stopped it from going to number one was Bowie's Pinups. 
Boo. So, uh, sorry, Quadrophenia. Boo. Wait, Labyrinth. Labyrinth from 1986. Jim Henson wanted Sting. Wow. He originally wanted Sting. It was wanted never actually Sting. offered to Sting, but Jim Henson wanted Sting. Everyone else talked him out of it and said Bowie was the way to go. And it... The rest is history, Jake. That's right. <laughs> so I don't know how, like, I don't think of Sting and Bowie as being that similar in the 80s. But, I, uh, I can see it. I can see it. Also, Bowie's, like, considerably older than Sting, so there's Yeah, that. that's true. I mean, they're kind of uh, rail-thin, white... Yeah, okay. British. You know, British rockers, I yeah, guess. Yeah, okay. All right. And Sting... Sure. I mean, it seems like they both can act a little bit. Sting ended up being in... A little bit, yeah. I think it was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Sting was really good in that movie. No. Yeah, man. Uh, finally, uh, this is, you know, slightly related. Uh, Bowie and Sting have also both been considered multiple times for being part of Doctor Who. Oh, Bowie's offered yeah, at, least, yeah, yeah. For the, at least three different villain roles through the years of Doctor Who. Yeah. And apparently is mentioned in multiple episodes, including there, like, being a Bowie moon base and stuff, and in episode, an episode called Life on Mars. And uh, he's part of official Doctor Who chronology somewhere in there. I found this online. I'm, I've only seen a few episodes of Doctor Who. I'm not right. It's a yet. it's a whole universe. It's a huge thing. Yes, I've enjoyed what I've watched, but not enough to get really really into this. But in some story, um, apparently as a story as a child, Bowie rode on the TARDIS, and uh, the effects of that gave him his one weird eye. Mm. So it wasn't George Underwood punching in the eye over a girl in high school. <laughs> it was actually the yeah. TARDIS in Doctor Who. Okay. So you know right. that? Retraction action right there. <laughs> oh, wait. That's the actual truth? What? That's, well, that's what they said in Doctor Who. Oh. Oh, wait. Okay. Are we supposed to what? play Retraction? <laughs> I'm confused. No, no, Jay. Don't play Retraction action. Can I please? Use it all for you. Play Retraction action. Wait a minute. Can I play Retraction action, please? Retraction action. Hey, man. Sorry for the distraction. Johnny's in the basement mixing up some detraction. We know this segment's not the main attraction. We've got to hit you with Retraction action. Finally, completely unrelated, but just just to bring a smile to your face, Jake. Mm. As you know, Sting in 2018 released a reggae album with oh. Shaggy. Oh, stop it! Like I don't know about that. <laughs> like that's not anyway, something Jake, I, I love. I want you to know, Jake. You did, maybe you did not know that it won the Grammy for best reggae album in 2019. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> what I do know is that early on in our in our podcasting here, because um, that came out I don't know yeah. around the time that we started, I had yeah, we were I had what I thought was a hilarious idea to <laughs> to do a cold open of the show where uh, you know I'm Charlie and I like Sting, I'm Jake and I love Shaggy, and we just take <laughs> we pretend that we were now going to do a podcast about Shaggy versus Sting, but you wouldn't you didn't go for it, and I'm still, no, I didn't go I'm for bitterly it. disappointed. Down. I'm it's bitterly. No, I just I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I hold a grudge to this day. Well, that's all right. It finally came out. You know, your side has been aired. The people yeah. at home can be the judge. Okay. Whether we should have done that thing that we didn't do. Uh, we could still do it. Hey, it's all not right, too late. More small things here, but we didn't do a lot. But he did do. He re-recorded one song. It was not released until 1990, so it wasn't released in '88. Um, but he did a new version of "Look Back in Anger," which is a song from oh, yeah. Lodger. Um, it's like seven minutes long. It's actually really quite good. Um, but it also, he performed it twice, just this one song, as a crazy stage dance performance with Louise Le Cavalier of mm. 
Mm-hmm. The avant-garde dance troupe, La 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 Human Steps. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you made me guess that, and I, I might have gotten that one right. <laughs> I don't remember. Great don't name. Remember. Great name. Like, Run It Twice, it really is pretty awesome. It's a, it, um, yeah. So Bowie, for, especially for the first half, but he, he does a bunch of dancing, too. He, like, dances with Louise Le Cavalier. Woo! And um, it's a really crazy, unique dance routine. And then he ends up kind of moving over and doing the singing and another guy comes in and it's, you know, kind of implied that this guy, you know, is, she's now cheating on Bowie with this other guy. It's kind of like, oh, no, oh, no. But um, it's interesting. And it's, the song is interesting. It's a good recording. Um, But it's interesting as like the missing link between Last Spider the year before and what would come out in 1989, Tin Machine. Mm. Those seem usually pretty different, but this is like the missing link between the two of them. Oh. And in fact, Tim Machine, the first Tim Machine album was entirely recorded in 1989. And included wow. parts of Tim Machine 2 were recorded in 1989. They went back and used some of it. <laughs> so, Bowie's on his way. He's on his way to his next great adventure. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And by great, I mean not very good adventure. <laughs> I mean, mediocre at best. <laughs> I mean, great as in big. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Great Depression. The great idea. Know? The great idea. <laughs> You know? That didn't quite come to fruition. Well, you know, Tim Machine 1 is his first true comeback. And even though it's not a very good comeback, it's still better than Glass Spider. Yeah, Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that. All right, Urine Hair. We didn't get a urine throw, by the way. I know, I'll have to to do it. Uh, Getting better, getting better. So we had like a double Urine Hair. The first we already talked about was the kind of messy Roman bowl cut. Yeah, that's great. I love Loved that. it. Yeah. I give that one a seven out of five. Wow. That was so much fun. <laughs> just, I really enjoyed it. I didn't even recognize Bowie with his Roman bowl cut. Got it. Uh, Got it. You and should, the rest yeah. of his life, mostly what I saw in the looked back, looked back and anger performances, that's all I saw of him from, you know, contemporary. Otherwise, I saw the horrible mullet from 1987, which is the worst haircut ever. Mm. So it's uh, it's like Tim Machine. It's getting better. It's getting better. But it's still not very good. It's okay. still molded it, just not not as bad as what came before. So instead of a, you know, zero, it's a one. Oh, wow. Okay. You know? You know? So the it's no- a meta- his hair in 1980 is a metaphor for Tin Machine. <laughs> Great. A one of five. Just a, just a, a one, of five, one out of five. But, but it's definitely better than a zero. Is this the first time in history that something has been, the uh, you know, two side-by-side hairstyles, the one that's not a bowl cut has been significantly worse. <laughs> <laughs> I have an ironic fascination with the Roman bowl cut, which is pretty clear at this point. Well, obviously. Obviously. I don't care, I don't care who knows the Jake. Hey, you just it. brought, you just you I put it I never saw there. Bowie in a bowl cut. I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> and there it was. It just came up in this four-minute clip that I found on YouTube of his scene from... Last Temptation of Christ, and I just—I loved it. I just loved it so much, Jake. I'm imagining oh, Dylan. Yeah. In a, I'm imagining a Dylan in a bowl cut right now. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's making your day, isn't it? It really is. It? it is. I feel it so is. much better now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into points, and uh, yeah, but, let's do it. But first, I'll do a year and fro. Um, it's uh, you know, Bob this year had a very generous, collaborative, frizzy, uh, and the, a couple question marks here. We're gonna go blow dried clean <laughs> just kind of a you know just it was just out there it was a super group you're you know fro it was just out there he didn't care who it, was a team, it. it was a team effort it was That's a team right. effort you know I, I imagine that all the guys like got together and they were like 
helped tease it out before the I've show. Got, I've seen them like all having a slumber party right yeah, now. Yeah, they are. And they're in the jammy jams. They are. They're like, in their jams. Giving Bob, giving Bob a fro <laughs> makeover right now. Just teasing it to no end. <laughs> He's got curlers in there for a little while. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the funniest part, and I guess I'll just do the points for uh, for Traveling Wilburys now. The the best part about Traveling Wilburys is that they did seem like friends. Like, all these gigantic superstars were just, like, mm-hmm. hanging out, making music, you know? Like, really, there was no... There was Playing no, frisbee at the beach. Yeah. You know? I just imagine them doing all sorts of things, you know? Baking cakes together. Having a backyard barbecue. Yeah, you, you know, know, getting into their sleeping bags, and then it's time to go to George bed. George Harrison but, is wearing an apron that says, kiss the cook. You yeah. Know? It's great. Yeah. It's great. And it's like, <laughs> they're all in their sleeping bags, and it's time to go to bed, but they can't stop talking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, I think this girl has a crush on me, and all this stuff. <laughs> I think this backup dancer might like me. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And they wanted to... This be the next book from um, BBD Press. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The Traveling Wilburys. About the Traveling Wilburys having a sleepover. Yes, let's do it. It could be like traveling wilburys in fun at the su- fun in the sun. Oh my gosh! It could be like a- them having fun at the beach. There'll be small squabbles, which they'll you know figure out how to be friends. Yeah, but real like really low level stuff. Like nothing, oh, yeah. nothing social yep. or political or anything. They're just like no, no, no. Like they're like Bob- Jeff Lynn accidentally knocks over right over Oberson's <laughs> drink, you know, yeah. and he feels really upset about Whoopsie. it because <laughs> he had used his own money to go purchase it and. <laughs> But then Bob <laughs> shows up and gives 50 cents to Roy Orbison. He goes over and gets another one. And they got some, but he brings back popsicles for the rest of the guys. And they end up going swimming at the pool and they try to impress the lifeguard. Like that kind uh-huh. of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first picture book from BBD Press. Absolutely. So good. So good. Anyway, they also made really stinking great music together. So I had a, I had a hard time doing the points for Bob. It looks like, it looks like, I don't know what's going to happen here. It seems like it might be kind of important, you know, point-wise, what, what the Traveling Wilburys do. I think I'm going to give Bob a 1.0 for the whole for the whole thing. They were all they all collaborated. They put out a bunch of music videos. They put out a, a really great single called Handle With Care and a smash hit. I kind of feel like you go a little higher. Should I? thinking, like, why don't you use the, the template of the uh, the Iggy Pop albums? That yeah, well, what did you do for that? I just couldn't remember. We did, two, we did two point spread okay. for that. All right, all right. So I'm going to do... And that was with the singles and everything? You didn't, like, give extra points? I didn't count the singles. Okay. Because they were released as Well, there was only, there was that's only... A, that's a little bit different. Right. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'll give... How about this? I'll give Bob a plus two for his involvement in Traveling Wilburys. And there. plus point five for the single? Or plus... Is that too much? I think throw out the single. Just to get, do a two. All right. Great. Two point for the whole the whole okay. thing here. Two point two two point zero for the whole thing. It was it was a big deal. Um, it has endured. It's really fun music. It's like actually fun. It's well produced. Um, I enjoy listening to it. Uh, the kids enjoy listening to it. We're all happy about traveling Wilburys, Okay. Uh, let's do never. Hey! Any... Whoa! Whoa! Okay! All right! Whoa! Hey! Oh! Whoa! Chaz, I like it. <laughs> okay. All it right. was a good. Time. All right. Jeez. Actually, I think there's kind of a there's kind of a a, a mild you know lesson book that's going to come out when they when they break up or when they stop making music together because Roy Orbison died. So we're going to need to mm-hmm. do we're going to need to do like a 
That's when that's when the series suddenly turns really serious. You know? Well, it's going to be a tender have, like they have how, a, it's going to be have like a, a, a one about you know saying goodbye to right and helps and helps kids at home deal right. with uh, loss in their own lives. It, that's it. That's exactly right. It's a tender yeah. message about grieving about how, how you're supposed exactly. to exactly. Yep. Uh, and about the power of love and friendship to help you through tough times. Absolutely. And then there's going to be the one where George Harrison wants to keep the the band together in the early mm-hmm. '90s, in like '91, '92, and he always thought they were going to maybe just come back together and do, even though they had already done volume three which was actually volume two like maybe another volume <laughs> and uh let's do volume seven guys yeah and nobody nobody else really wanted to do it so we're gonna have to you know poor george yeah, that'll be a good one stuck up stuck up where he's gonna figure out how to handle things when yeah. you know his friends don't want to do what he wants to do that's you right know? yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh this is great this is fantastic <laughs> all right all right, let's uh, I've got I've got outlines done for the first twenty five books. Oh, excellent! <laughs> twenty five book series, great, <laughs> great. The first twenty five books. Jim. Oh, right, <laughs> right. This is volume one. Later, win volume three. Another twenty five books. <laughs> the twenty five books are actually four books. Okay. <laughs> what? It's the way it's numbered, Jake. Oh, okay. But number one, number three, then number seven, then number twenty-five. I feel like um, I feel like I'm going to leave this in your very capable hands. <laughs> you got this all figured out, friend. You just tell me where to sign. Uh, all right, let's do let's do the never-ending tour. Um, I already explained it in great detail. Uh, it's the first one, therefore I think it should get a full point. It was very well received. Um, Go for it. Great, 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 great. Okay, let's do the. Let's do the single for um, Down in the Groove, which happens to be so- shockingly the best song on the album. I don't know how hey, I don't know how he pulled it off. I don't know whether he was listening to I'm somebody he at the time. It on the album. You know, maybe because the Grateful Dead was backing him up um, instrumentally, maybe he was like, you know, I'll throw these guys a bone or something. I don't know. Um, it's by far the best song on the album. It ended up on. It's called Silvio. I'm sorry. The song is called Silvio. It's kind of short and sweet, really fun, kind of jangly. And uh, it ended up on Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 3, which nobody cares about that at all. But that's it, oh. it was considered a, one of his greatest songs of the 80s. So I'm going to give it a plus 0.5. I don't hey. think... It's still a Dylan song from the 80s, let's be honest yeah. with ourselves. But it's a good one. Um, now, Down in the Groove is is so sweet and so sour at the same time that I don't... It, I, had a, I really struggled with if, with what to do. So... Um, out of the 10 songs on there, it's kind of a short daddy. It's like 36 minutes. Um, but of the 10 songs, there are four decent to shockingly good songs on this thing. Oh, well, that's more than, based on what you were saying before, that's more than I would have guessed. Me too. And I re-listened to it yesterday and I actually gave it, I gave it a good listen for the first time in years. Um, it has such a, a rotten reputation, which is, you know, which is deserved in some ways, but it is not nearly as bad as, uh... Uh, under, under the, the red sky. sky. I don't. Under the red sky is complete garbage to me. Red sky. Red sky. Yeah. Under the red sky. Um, one song out of the ten is mediocre, and five are just horrendous. They're just. <laughs> they're terrible. That's still a bad ratio. It is a bad ratio. It is a bad ratio. I don't normally do this. What I want to. I want to point Dylan fans. If you're not like familiar with this album, like I really wasn't before I, I re-listened to it. Um, I want to point you to. Uh, the song "Rank Strangers" to me. It closes the it closes the album. Um, Bob did not write it, but it's kind of a, a traditional song. It's really good. Go listen to it. You might be surprised. His version of Shannon. <laughs> okay. You probably will be surprised. Cool. cool. His version of Shenandoah is pretty good too, but I like that song. No, I'm not I can see that. I can see him doing that one all right. Yeah, and he does it in a cool way. 
Um, but then again, you know, Ugliest Girl in the World is on here. When Did You Leave Heaven is on here. Ooh, stinky. Had a Dream About You Baby is on here. Yuck. 90, <laughs> 90 miles an hour down a dead-end street. I mean, it, it, it fluctuates so badly. So I ended up giving it a negative two. Okay. It's bad, but there's actually good songs on it, more than one. Like, in comparison to, say, oh, I meant to say, too, the B-side to Silvio, which was the lead single off of the album, yeah. Down in the Groove. The B-side was some leftover song from Knocked Out Loaded, his previous album. <laughs> what are you guys, what are you talking about? That album was so horrible, and it wasn't even the good song on it. Ugh, I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, so I think that I think that's all the points. Let me see. I didn't even add them up here. So Down in the Groove actually cancels Traveling Wilburys, which is very funny. And then Silvio and NET. So Bob ended up with a plus one point five this year. Somehow. Wow. Yeah. The way you were talking before, I thought uh, I thought Bowie was going to pull this out, but I know. apparently not. No. He didn't do enough. Well, if he hadn't made the right decision about a single, and if he hadn't been in the Traveling Wilburys, it would have just been an, an apocalypse. Well, yeah. You know, but. As it is, the Traveling Wilburys lift all boats, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> all right, well, Bowie, not much to talk about. The only thing worthy of points from this, because he's just got a cameo in Last Testament, or Last uh, Temptation of Christ, so no points there, um, is the Glass Spider video release. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so this tour was by far the biggest, most theatrical tour he did his entire life. Right. There was so much going on. He threatened to do stuff like this. He came close in 1974 with the Diamond Dogs tour. It was super theatrical with a giant set and dancers and choreographed stuff. Um, but this one, he really did it. And he had the money and he had the, you know, he had the money to do it <laughs> in advance. But he also did it in gigantic arenas where that was the biggest criticism you write about it was that nobody could see that what the heck is going on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, right. along with the fact that the first half of the show is really heavy on stuff from Glass Spider, mm. like uh, I want to say the the CD version. I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's nine out of the eleven original tracks from Glass Spider end up on there, which is just it's hard listening because yeah. there's so many bad yeah. ones on Tough it. There's sledding. so many fingers on that album. Tough sledding. Uh, but the second half is much better because he does a lot of you know old favorites anyway. Anyway, um, the biggest criticism that you can't, people couldn't see what was going on. You can even barely like tell which one is Bowie up oh there. He's wearing like, bright red most of the show and, and bright gold for the rest of it. Shimmery gold. <laughs> Great. Um, but when you actually like have the video and can see what's going on, is really there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of like that's worth watching. There's a lot of impressive stuff going on. It's more like it reads more like a musical. Okay. Than, than like a rock concert. A lot of it. Um, he has more like straightforward just singing, performing songs towards the in the second half. The first half is a lot more of his routines. There's dancers all over the place. There's all this crazy choreographed stuff. Um, he pulls a woman up out of the audience who in turns out to actually be a member of his, you know, sure, troupe sure, who dances sure. with him and does stuff. And like, it's really kind of fun to watch. Like I said, I watched this whole thing. Nice. Um, so I feel like this is actually worthy of a little bit of points. I'm not giving this a negative, not the video. The audio, yes, because you lose all of this. Um, but I'm giving it a, a 0.5. Give it right. a point. Solid. You know, I, so. I, I think what Bowie was going for with, you know, spending hundreds of millions of dollars and choreographing all of these stunts and, and all this stuff was that one day a, you know, a, a little herd podcast would give him a 0.5. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's what, that's what it amounted to. That was his long-term goal there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, go ahead. Hey, so this, Jake, was our last year of the 80s. Wow. To close what? out the 90s. This is we it? Closed out, we closed out the 80s. Wow, no more Next terrible episode, Dylan. 
Next episode, we're doing 2000. We're going to close out the 2000s. This is crazy. Wow. I know. We're coming down to it, Jake. I know. We're doing it. Episode 58, episode 64 will be our final episode. Wow. This is, it's it's happening. I know. The river's flowing. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to uh, to keep the party start, keep the party going after mm. the podcast is done, is to keep the party going on your torso <laughs> with a t-shirt. That's our slogan. It always has been. That's our slogan. It's right. It always <laughs> has been. Yeah, go back and listen to the first episode again. You'll find it. Oh yeah, it's in there. It's it was really hard. I, I won't go back and you just like stick it in the episode several times. I don't know. Yeah, or listen to it backwards, probably. Backwards. Yeah. 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 Ignore the parts where we say Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't mean that. He's not. We didn't mean that part. He keeps, he's not. He, he keeps, still isn't. <laughs> he keeps putting out Super <laughs> he Deluxe Editions. He was in 1968, and he no. isn't in 2020. No, well, it's not the first half of 2020. No, Can't we, guarantee you the second half. We don't know that the theory that he was replaced by a clone or somebody that looked just like him because his songwriting changed slightly around the time he was supposed to have died is not true. We can't prove that it's not <laughs> true. So you think about that. Yeah, you think about that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. We'll see you next time. Bye.